Fear has its own physiology, primal responses to threat. The quickened heart, the sweaty palm, the panic that chokes in the throat, making time seem to stand still. We're born with these instincts to flee danger from the world outside us, to survive. But there's no place to run when the dangers come not from outside us, but from ourselves. That was the voice of Carl Kolchak, the reporter from the uh, television series Night Stalker, played by Stuart Townsend, played by Stuart Townsend. And uh, that is from the episode three. And uh, guess what? It's the third episode. Kind of clever, huh? Yeah. Well, to be fair, it doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that it is the third episode. No, no. It's not like that song on the They Might Be Giants album the third song and or like the second song on blur's album which is song two and it's two minutes long any of those kind of things no oh god well i can't believe that we just mentioned blur in this podcast but all right i could have gone to gorillas maybe but i don't know why didn't you just go to the white album sure number nine i'm yes is that the ninth song on there I, I would assume so. Do you have to count sides? Mm, oh, that's right. Yeah. Nothing's better than just counting how many times Yoko Ono screams over tracks. That's all I care about. This is the Cold Jack Tapes. I'm Mike White. Joining me, of course, is Mr. Chris Stashu. Yeah, I'm here. This episode aired October 13th, 2005. It was directed by Daniel Sackheim who uh, was probably better known as being a producer. Uh, He's done a lot of production work. He's done some directing as well, but did a ton of producing on all kinds of television shows, going all the way back to the reboot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and uh, going all the way up to some of our current stuff that we have, uh, including a television version of Jack Ryan. So that means there's going to be... What, is this the fifth Jack Ryan now that we have? Because we've gotten Baldwin, Pine. Oh, I guess this is the fourth one. Uh, Baldwin, Ford. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ford, Baldwin, Pine, Ford, Affleck, and then whoever it is in this new Jack Ryan show. I was about to say, how could you forget Harrison Ford, the best Jack Ryan? Those were the most boring Jack Ryans to me. I actually like the Ben Affleck one the best. This is John Actually, Krasinski. do you know who Jack... Yeah, I was going to say, do you know who's playing Jack Ryan? The motherfucker from The Office. Great, because that's who I think of when I think of Jack Ryan. Sure. Yeah. He almost played Captain America, guys. Let's be thankful he didn't. Whoa. And it was written by Adam Sussman, who's still doing a lot of work. He's working on what I consider to be not a very good television show, which is 12 Monkeys. And before that, he was the story editor on this reboot show. Uh, And he's also done a whole lot of other stuff, too. He's worked on The Blacklist. Uh, Can you tell I'm avoiding talking about this episode? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine why. It might have something to do with the fact that this is the first truly bad episode of this show. Uh, It is a thoroughly lackluster premise. It is a thoroughly lackluster execution. And everyone who's involved in this episode, Stuart Townsend and Gabriel Union included, seem beyond disinterested. And it seems like, man, the we don't want to be here anymore, we're here for the paycheck doldrums have set in three episodes in. To this show. Well, who even knows if this was the third episode? I know the five well, people you meet in hell. Issue. Right, right. I'm trying to think if there's any of the mythology in this episode other than in the opening, like the the, the pre-roll. Well, he asked him at one point, he's like, do you know what this mark is? And it's that Mark of Cain thing again. Oh, right. right yeah. Yeah. 
and otherwise. This is the most hardcore uh, Scully and Mulder when Scully was just being a pain in the ass kind of thing. Uh, it was just like Gabrielle Union does not want to believe anything that is happening in this episode. And to the point where they actually yeah, uh, switch roles at one point, and he's like, well, I'll be you, and then you be me, and then he just shoots down everything that she says. And then even Vincenzo gets into that game as well, and it's like, oh, for God's sakes. Well, the real issue that I have with this episode is is there's like... There's kind of a MacGuffin with the name of the episode and what they're talking about versus how that factors into why these people are dying. And, like, that twist is really, really dumb. Like, it just... It's like a double twist on top of everything else. So there's, like, the twist, and then there's the, the another twist at the end. It's like the, this misdirect that you had going for half the episode, there's not really a great payoff. And then, like, the final twist is like, oh, okay, two minutes and then it's done. Like, what the hell? Exactly. It wraps up so quick. And then it's like, whoa, did the episode just end? Where, where's the denouement? And there's barely anything. Well, yeah, because one of the characters just teleports, and then they're like, oh, it's all over now. Like, there was no climax. There was no resolution to any of this. What the hell is going on? Like, did someone just, like, lose the last two, three pages of script in, the in like, in the shuffle, in the fax machine? Did the copier eat it? Is that what happened? And then it becomes an homage to some of the old... Jack episodes when Stuart Townsend just burns a house down. <laughs> right? Jack behaving badly. Then you had those stupid words coming up on screen. I, I Now I'm in your camp. I can't stand those words when they come up on screen. It really feels like a 90s like motivational video. Threat. Lives. Like, guys, this is 2005. This doesn't, like, if you're watching this scene and you think that doing it and presenting it this way works. I have something to tell you. It doesn't. Like, let's let's put this into perspective, right? So, this show came on the heels of X-Files, right? This show also was in between X-Files and what I would consider to be X-Files' successor, which is Supernatural. And in some respects, Supernatural is as successful as the X-Files in terms of the fan base. Supernatural's fan base has kept that show alive, so this show was trying to be the successor to the X-Files that Supernatural ended up being. However, the way that they do stuff like this show show tries to do in X-Files and in Supernatural is way better, which is surprising considering how Spotnitz is the one who was involved with and is got, and has the credit for this show coming back to begin with. And you have to question and ask yourself, like, you know, we had the interview with Frank Spotnitz, so we understand where the problems were, and we understand what the studios wanted, and the studios ended up getting what they wanted out of Supernatural to some extent, and then you could even talk about other shows that kind of took up that helm with Fringe there for a while, and then obviously the X-Files came back last year, but you have this really problematic situation with this show where this show can't figure out what it wants to be and how it wants to present the information and the storylines that it has because it can't decide if it wants to be just like the X-Files or something more than the X-Files. And it, it never gets far enough to make up its mind. And that's partly studio's fault, but also the writing was never good enough to make up its mind to begin with. This episode, for a lot of it, it almost feels like like a Criminal Minds episode, or maybe even like a Law and Order, because we just 
basically have a series of murders that happen and they could be supernatural they might not be supernatural but they sure seem like they're supernatural and then it's all a matter of who done it so it is you know oh is it the the guy who wasn't in the secret society what do the victims have in common oh they both have something to do with the secret society and that well that actually takes a little bit because i think it's a uh, demonic cult at first and then perry steps up and she's like oh yeah those marks that you saw in the window weren't uh, you know this or that or the other thing they were actually these circles and that means that it's part of this group called three name of the episode and they're the secret society and i happen to know a lot about secret societies and then it almost becomes like a thing that she was in a society um and i'm wondering if that might have come back at some point in the show but i don't really think that it adds anything to anything i mean what she knows i think anybody would know had they watched like even that stupid skull and crossbones movie with the uh, Oh God, the, the Hayden Christensen or Ryan Felipe or any of those kind of things. It's just like, yeah, this is all pretty much common knowledge. Okay. But the big thing that's happening is that people are dying and they seem to be dying in unusual ways and they're dying based upon the things that they fear most, or at least we know that about the first girl. And then the second guy, when he dies, he ends up like his body is traumatized, like it had been thrown off a 30 story building and the highest building on campus is five stories. So, Ooh, what's going on there? But at least we get the introduction in this episode of Eugene bird, who we'll hear an interview with later on in the episode. And Eugene bird is, he's, kind of picking up the Gordy the Ghoul mantle in this one. And he has one scene in this entire episode, but it's the best scene, without a doubt. Well, he's the only one. You talked about how these characters are sleepwalking. He seems to be the only one who's not sleepwalking. Kind of makes me feel like this episode is in order, because we're three episodes in and he's just now being introduced. So this maybe is the order of the season, at least with this episode. But again, we're not far enough into this show where we can really be taking our foot off the gas when it comes to characterization and like building the relationships between Cole Shack and Perry Reed and Jane McManus. Like we're not there yet where you can kind of have these like less relationship focused episodes. I mean, with a show like the X-Files, I know we keep talking about the X-Files because the X-Files, you know, say what you will about the later seasons of the X-Files, the X-Files in the first couple seasons had some of the best writing on television at the time. And this show wanted to emulate that. I mean, just the setup. I mean, in the original Kolshak show, Kolshak was a lone wolf. I mean, he had people at the INS office, but he didn't have a female sidekick. So there's not a surprise when when they rebooted the show and Kolshak had a female sidekick who was a skeptic. The X-Files writing was so good. That's why so many people watched it because of the interplay between the two characters. And I, I find it hard to understand why they didn't make a bigger deal of including that in this show and making a bigger point of having Kolshak and Perry Reed have an actual believable relationship as opposed to, I don't believe you, Kolshak. You're kind of a creep because you maybe killed your wife. I didn't. Okay. Well, in Perry's reaction to Kolchak having a source, it comes off so clunky. It's just like, she doesn't believe it. Oh my God, how can you have a source of this guy that works in the morgue? And she keeps like deprecating his job position. Like, 
what she's calling him like a uh, an intern or something like that an internist and he's like uh yeah no i'm a pathologist and she does it twice to him and i'm like okay this is kind of weird and it just makes her unsympathetic and the way that she reacts is just way too uh, much for this scene she should be like okay yeah because i mean all reporters have sources and i'm sure that it makes sense to have a source who works for the uh, city morgue so yeah all right and again kolchak had a source he had gordy so it fits with the pattern and luckily in the original uh night stalker we didn't have somebody going oh my god i can't believe you work with this guy at the morgue yeah it's kind of, it's just kind of odd to me that they again they seem to really just shirk the idea of giving these characters relationships believable ones to the point where a character's like you have a relationship with another character like of course he does dum dum he's a reporter it would be more surprising if he didn't frankly right yeah and and i don't know if like if she had said something like you've only been in town for two weeks how do you already have a confidential source or whatever then it would be something but even then it's like yeah, no, you ask around, you do your due diligence. I mean, come on, Perry, you've been on the crime beat for four years. You would think that you would know about this kind of stuff and have your own sources. No, but she doesn't. <laughs> so there you go. And then after the second death, it takes a long damn time for something to actually start to happen again. Then it just becomes this whole back and forth of, well, I think it could be this guy. Well, maybe it's more like this guy. And it ends up, yeah, it's the guy who... There's like this hanger on at the beginning who is just kind of annoying, doesn't really necessarily fit with the narrative. And of course, he ends up being the character we should be concerned about, but it's really not him. And then, yeah, there are so many twists upon twists that are all just boring twists. And twists that, as far as I'm concerned, don't really have any bearing on anything. No. Like, these, we know these characters aren't coming back because we've seen enough episodes of the show to know that, so why get invested? Right. And poor Jane. He has nothing to do in this episode. Yeah, but Jane McManus hasn't been given a whole lot to do in this show anyways. Right. So, you know. He's probably just going to, like, pull up a chair next to Vincenzo's desk and they'll just hang out all day because Vincenzo, Vincenzo has dick to do. Well, Vincenzo's not even, as far as I'm concerned, a character in this reboot. No. He's, again, he's it's wallpaper. This, it's this, yeah. It's this basic misunderstanding of what made the original show so successful and what made shows that this show was attempting to emulate contemporary so successful. In a show like The X-Files, Scully and Mulder together and individually both have a relationship with their version of Vincenzo who's Skinner in the show like they both have a relationship with him and it's what and again it's the interplay between the characters that is what draws you in and keeps you coming back because you want to see how they continue to interact and build the relationship and in this show Vincenzo his character does not exist at all and Skinner was so awesome because you never necessarily knew where he was coming from what his full backstory was, it was just this, he would surprise you all the time, and it was always so cool when he did. Yeah, and this Vincenzo should have been that to some extent, but instead he's just nothing. Like I said, he's wallpaper. He just hangs around, yells at people every once in a while. Nothing that he says or does has really any impact or bearing on the story. It's not like he's trying to assign stories, you know, or... 
any of that kind of stuff, any of this the horseplay that we see Carl Kolchak going through in the original series, you know, trying to get assigned to, you know, go out and interview that yogi, get on that cruise ship. I mean, any of that kind of stuff. We don't have any of that. Again, this is something we talked about the last time we talked about a the Night Stalker episode as opposed to uh, the original show. Kolchak almost doesn't even seem like a character in his own story. He seems like he's like, he doesn't seem like the main character. He seems like he takes a backseat to his own show. And thankfully, that's not as much the case in this episode, but he's not given much to do. No. Look at this face. Look at this ghost face. Oh, great. I'm just like, wow, have you been watching a lot of J-horror lately, Kolchak? Yeah. (sighs) What's ironic is that next month we're going to be talking about an episode that of the original series that actually does a lot of the same things in terms of plot, uh, or I should say in terms of story, but does it much better, I would think, even though I think some people consider it to be one of the lesser of the original series. But this whole idea of, you know, the spirit coming back and, you know, all of these things, uh, these murders being done by spiritual presences, it's, yeah, it's, done a lot better because we actually kind of know who it is from the beginning or at least we have some sort of thing and there is a twist again but it's not as dumb as this twist no this twist is really dumb and it doesn't feel uh, i don't feel like they earn the twist no right like this episode's not good enough for them to be like oh there's a massive twist by the way guys like really it's not even a cool twist it's not even a twist that like really matters because like we've said that character who the one who has the twist built into his character like who cares he's not coming back anyways and we're not and he's not given much of a character to begin with so you really can't get invested in him yeah he's just kind of like douchey college guy with a secret that he doesn't even know of (laughs) because apparently like that's one of the things that like you have to hang a lantern on with one of these type twists right it's like when you're a kid apparently you like you lose all of your memory of being a kid yeah like that's used so often too this is not the only show that's guilty of doing that so no no i mean i mentioned criminal minds earlier that one definitely does that kind of stuff all the time yeah so it's just it's like come on this show should be better than that this show should really be better than that but it's not so well let's go ahead and take a break and actually have kind of a bright spot to this episode because we've just been beating up three like crazy for good reason but the one good area of the episode was done by uh, Eugene Bird, his character, Alex Nyby. So let's go ahead and play an interview with Alex Nyby himself, Mr. Eugene Bird. read that you have been acting since you were just a little kid. Can you tell me how you kind of got interested in acting? Uh, it's actually pretty... It's actually it's not even that. I was about to say it's a really interesting story. Don't, don't most actors say that, but it's actually not completely true. No, uh, when I was like six or seven years old, uh, I used to do a lot of weird stuff, as some kids would do. My mom used to always try to find me. I would get lost in a department store, or supposedly lost, and then she would find me 
either posing as a mannequin or in a group of people telling Eddie Murphy jokes, which she had no idea how I got my hand on Eddie Murphy tape. She played my brother. That's when they decided they think I should just go to an acting school to deal with my, like, I had a lot of energy. So I went to an acting uh, class when I was a kid, um, like six, and then my uh, teacher at the time, uh, Rodney uh, Rob, introduced me to my, his wife, Edie Rob, who was a manager, and then I was in the business ever since then, at the age of seven. So seven to how, how old I am now. Were you more of a delirious or a raw type Eddie Murphy fan? You know what? I was a delirious fan. But as you, and you know what? And, but here's the funny thing is, as I got older, I appreciated some of the jokes are raw because when you're younger, you listen to the jokes and raw and you laugh, but you're like, I don't get it. That's because <laughs> I'm a kid. So right. you, you really don't get some of the jokes. The lyrics was easy. You know, he's talking about barbecues and he's talking about ice cream and, you know, you know those are way easier to get into. Uh, Cause my two idols are uh, when I was growing up were Eddie Murphy and Prince. I know that's crazy, but <laughs> in my mind, I was thinking, I want to be a really sexy Sexy, funny dude. So when girls see me, they're like, he's sexy and he's funny. I'm going to get all women. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking when I was a kid. You clean up. Clean up, man. Who, who, who's going to deny? Who's going to deny that person? <laughs> he's, he's sexy like Prince, but he's funny like Eddie. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get all the chicks. What would you consider your first professional, quote unquote, job as an actor? You know what? Actually, my first professional job was a commercial. It was for Hershey Nutra Granola Bars. And it was this, uh, and actually, at one point, we were bigger than Weird Beach um, when they were tracking commercials. And they could say which these commercials were big at the time. And there's a bunch of these little kids singing like 50s songs, like lip syncing to them. And mine was uh, Duke of Earl. And then all the kids at the end sang um, Good Night, Sweetheart. And what's so funny is I was thinking about that the other day and saw the commercial. And I went, wow, I got these chipmunk cheeks. I sucked my thumb so my teeth looked like they were about to explode out of my head. And I was doing some of the most movements I've ever seen anybody do. And I went, man, if we just if I watched that commercial and said, that kid's going to be a star, I would have never said that. <laughs> that kid's never going to make it to me. <laughs> He's not going to make it, is what I would have said when I saw that commercial. What was oh, it thanks. like working with uh, Jim Jarmusch on Dead Man? Man, that was fantastic. You know, because at that time, I, you know, when you're young and you're not really thinking about anything, you don't know to look up what certain uh, directors had done at the time. And, you know, I became a, a fan of Jim's after I you know, saw what he did and with Strangers on the Train. And, you know, of course, later on, he had Ghost Dog, Broken Flowers. What I really loved about working with Jim is that Jim was, uh, Jim would walk up to you and he looked like he had an idea to say something. He had, like, something to say to you. And he would walk up to me and he would go, No, Gene. You know what? Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> like, you didn't say anything. <laughs> you said nothing. But he would just let us play. And that's what I loved about Jim, is that he had ideas, he would let us play. I got to work with, like, I mean, at that time, I think it was probably one of my favorite experiences, because, I mean, you know, walking through that set was Billy Bob Thornton before anybody knew who he was. It was Gabriel Byrne. It was uh, Kristen Glover. It was um, Johnny Depp, of course. And, I mean, you you named the people on that on that shoot. Alfred Molina, I, it, it was great to work on. It was a great experience. And I had a great ch- time working with Lance Henriksen and John Hurt and uh, Robert Mitchum in his, one of, his last film. That was actually his last film. That cast is amazing. You look back at that cast and you, you're, especially the depths of the talent and the, and the small roles they played, they, they were just great. 
what was it like working on Robot Chicken with Seth Green and kind of, you know, doing voice work versus, you know, being on screen? It's a different animal. And I will I will I will put this disclaimer. Seth is one of my really good friends. We've known each other since we were like eight years old. So working with one of my oldest friends was kind of weird. I hadn't I've done some voice work by that point, but uh, he had just called me and said, hey, man, um. You want to do this thing real quick for me? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And I came on a robot chicken. And it's just a different animal, man, because you don't, it's a little bit more freeing. Uh, there's no camera on you, so you don't have to really worry about anything other than the imagination of what you're trying to post. Because I have no idea what I look like. When he told me, hey, you're playing the black stallion, I'm like, you mean I'm a black guy who's like a, like gifted? And like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, he's like, no, you're really the black stallion, your horse. Oh, okay. Okay. How do you want him to sound? you know, what do you want to show me? I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is, a, this is very freeing. You know, and he just let me go. And it was fun because I just basically did it. I, I basically, if someone had thought that, that Chris Rock had played that character, he would have said, that was Chris Rock. I, I basically just did Chris Rock. It was a lot of fun working with on Robot Chicken because, you know, it's a, it's a great show. And, and Seth, is, Seth is great to work with. Looking at your IMDb credits, you worked on Gears of War 4 recently in, in a pretty major role. And you've done some more voice work in some other stuff. Where would you rank doing voice yeah, Lego, work? Lego Star Wars. Lego yeah, Star Wars. That, that as well. <laughs> Where would you rank doing voice work up against, like, TV or film? If you had asked me this when I was, I would say in my 20s, I would have said, it ranks nowhere. I'd have been like, yeah, it's whatever. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, as I've gotten older, man, I've appreciated it even more because I love the freedom that uh, voice work gives you. It's hard work, though. I, I, yeah, I give way more credit to voiceover actors than I did when I was younger. It was, it's really a lot of work. It's straining on the voice, especially video games. Like, Gears of War 4 was taxing. It was taxing on my voice. But it's so much fun, man. Uh, and I, I, I'm a nerd. I grew up playing video games. So to know that I did voice work in Star Wars Force Awakens and Rogue One and, and Lego Star Wars, I mean, I, I mean... To go to the movies and see my name fly up, I don't give a darn if I wasn't in the damn thing. My voice was in it. <laughs> so I'm excited that my name is popping up. So it, now I find it just as important. I, and I think it's, it's a different muscle. It actually it makes me appreciate when I get in front of the camera even more because I feel more free. When you did voice work for Rogue One and Force Awakens, did they actually use your voice in the film? Could you tell? In Rogue One, I could. And Force Awakens... <laughs> It's like it's now turned into one of those things where I've had friends who work with me on it, and we're like, "No, I heard your voice. It was right here." And my and one of my friends is the sound is the sound designer, um, sound editor uh, Matthew Wood, and I asked him. I said, "Matt, where did you put my voice?" He went, "You're in there. You're in there. You're um, ooh, let me go back to my notes." He looked in his notes. He went, "Yeah, you're right. Ooh, nowhere I put you." <laughs> so when so I when he asked me to do Rogue One. I said, this is going to be one of those times. I said, no, no, you're actually going to have a line. And so he gave me a line. So there's a scene where they're running. They're trying to get to the switch. And there's this black guy who goes, I'm going. And then he, as soon as he pops his head out, he gets shot. That was me. That was my voice. I don't know why. I don't know why they had to replace his voice, but they replaced his voice with mine. <laughs> so, and then I heard it throughout. Like, I heard my screams, my, when I get really loud. So, yeah, man, that's exciting to me. Uh, it's exciting to me to be a part of uh, projects I grew up watching. So that's what voiceover work has done for me. If I can't get in front of the camera, at least to be a voice of a Lego or voice of a cartoon or 
a video game. It's just that you're fighting to me now. I was curious when it comes to the work that you've done on episodic television, when you come to a character like Alex Nyby in Night Stalker or Dr. Clark Edison on Bones, how much of that character is already on the page versus what you kind of bring to it with your acting decisions? With Clark, Clark evolved. So Clark on the page was one thing, but you know, when I um, got the role, uh, my creator, Hart Hansen, was like, listen, make them your own. And, okay. And so, you know, at first, he's very eager to please. And then he turns into this really straight-laced guy. And those were all things that we kept working on and kept adding, which is pieces of my personality if I wanted to hold myself back. And that's what I kept trying to... You're going to laugh at this, but when I was creating Clark, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So I added pieces of Spock. Ha. You're right, I did laugh. So if you watch Bones differently, you'll see it because he's trying not to involve himself. He's trying to be very business. And so and he looks like he's wound tightly, which is a line that they use later in one of the episodes. Um when Angela was coming after me and was trying to like hit on me, I was always trying to keep it very business and very professional and no no woman, you need to stay over there and I don't do that. You know, I, I was very socially awkward. And so I added little elements of that. And then he evolved into a dude that just had fun. Now, with Alex, I was a huge Night Stalker fan. So I was excited to go on board because I used to watch. I actually worked with Darren McGavin um, when I was 13. I did this movie called Perfect Harmony. And I was doing my best not to, like, pepper him with questions because I was a little intimidated because I grew up watching him in Cold Shack and Night Stalker. So playing Alex was just another fun thing for me because uh, working with Stuart Townsend was great. I knew Gabrielle. I actually, Gabrielle and I had talked about it. She wasn't sure she was going to do the project. And then she talked to me and I was like, I think you should do it. I think it'd be great. Uh, a black woman in this, in this situation would be different for you. And, and she did it and I'm glad she did. And we just had a great time doing it. And so Alex was, Alex was more me. Alex, Alex was more me. He was, um, there wasn't much on the page for Alex. Alex was definitely more me on that on that aspect. So you kind of already answered our question because our next question was, did you have any prior oh. exposure to Kolchak? Which it's oh yeah, there you go. Uh, the vampire. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> the vampire episode was one of my favorites. Uh, also, um, when uh, what's his name, man? Because uh, I used to watch the Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, oh, Richard Anderson? Richard Anderson. Yeah. You know, him playing basically Jack the Ripper. Yes. You know, so my mom my mom grew me up on those, you know, because she watched them all the time, so I watched them. And so I had a really... And, that, and that's what's sad about that uh, that whole... Um, when we brought back, we remade um, Night Stalker, I wish to God we had gotten to the later episodes quicker. Mm-hmm. I felt like we put our best stuff at the end. And so... ABC didn't give it a chance to breathe, which is a shame because I really felt like we our best episodes were coming. Because we spoke with Frank Spotnitz earlier this week. That was kind of the vibe that we got from speaking with him was that the studio didn't kind of put their faith in the idea as much as he would have liked. And kind of hearing that from you kind of echoes the same thing. I feel a lot of times networks just don't give things a chance to breathe. You know, it's, we judged shows on their first season, then Star Trek Next Generation would have never made it. It would have been canceled. 
because I think the first, I think first season is terrible. Uh, second season is not much better. Third season, now we're in stride. I think most shows need at least bones should have never got to 12, 12 seasons. But Fox let it, let it ride for whatever reason it may be. And it, it grew better and the chemistry got great. And then people started knowing their characters and, and the fans started loving it. Um, and I feel like ABC just didn't get that show a chance. But also, I, and this is my personal opinion, I felt like, you know, Jim Gilligan, his episodes, we put later, put one of his episodes later, and I, I really felt we should have started off with his sooner. Because I thought our best stuff was coming. It's a shame. I, I really felt like ABC should have gave that show a, a way better chance than they did. But who knows? They may revamp it again, you know, because now it seems like everybody's going to revamp. What was it like working with Darren McGavin? I mean, it, it, it's hilarious to me to hear that you were just like trying not to geek out as you're talking to him. Well, because you know, you know, you know, twelve or thirteen years old, and got Darren McGavin. Now, Darren McGavin is a very nice man. He talked, I, I, but I still wouldn't ask him. <laughs> I, still wouldn't, I still wouldn't acknowledge that I'm working with him. Uh, my mother kept saying, "Why don't you want to talk to him?" I was like, "I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to him." I mean, I'll talk to him about what we're doing, but I just basically kept my, my distance because I didn't know how he worked. And I grew up on sets where, you know, I try to talk to someone and they may be the type of actor who doesn't want you talking to them because they want to stay in a certain process. But I didn't have that with Darren. I just never got into that conversation with him. I wish I did. I really do wish I did. Uh, I probably would have learned some things about that, that show and what he was doing at the time. Um, I would have liked to know what was happening when he was shooting that because I, it seemed like they had so much fun doing it. There was such chemistry there. I mean, especially between him and Simon Oakland. I love to watch those two on screen oh, yeah. together. Yeah. Because, well, you know, you're like, Cole what do you mean? You're like, Cole you're making me angry. I mean, you would just get a whole lot of that, and, and it just worked with them. It's, it's so funny. We don't. Do you feel like, and I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you feel like some of that type of, that type of show is missing nowadays? where they just had fun. And yes, they had, they had interesting stories, but there was a little bit of, a little bit of cheese, but the, the, the mystery was there. The fun was there. I feel like we get so serious now. It's like every, every, I feel like everybody wants to do Game of Thrones or want to do Walking Dead, which is okay and great. I love those shows, but I, I don't feel like they're having fun. The serious, dark, gritty thing has really permeated everything. Nowadays, everything, everything, even stuff that's like this probably doesn't need it. And I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, man. I, I, a friend of mine was telling me there's a show on Netflix called Crazy Head, I think it's called. And then like telling me, watch it. It's fun. And I want to see something like that where it's fun. Like Doctor Who is fun. You know, uh, Sherlock is fun. You know, those are shows I want to watch. Um, and I still watch Walking Dead. I, I watch Walking Dead when I can and and uh, Game of Thrones when I can. But, you know, I really do miss those type of shows, man, where it, it, it was just it, event television. You just You, you want to watch it. Right. You really want to watch it because it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I miss that kind of stuff. Did you get a sense working with some of the actors on Night Stalker that they had the same kind of exposure or reverence for the original series that you did, or was it kind of more just a job? I'm, you know, we haven't spoken to anyone else, but I'm kind of curious what your mm -hmm. feelings were on set working with some of the other actors. A lot of them are like, Stuart's not a nerd, uh, but Stuart's very uh, conscientious of where the show was, you know, with uh, Darren McGavin, but he wanted to do his own little take. He wanted to do his new take on it. I think we all just wanted to get a new take, so it was, it was, it was a great atmosphere. 
we all were trying to create this new mythology because, you know, his Kolshak was not Dan McGavin's Kolshak. So yeah, I just think everybody was trying to get it right. For me, it was, it was definitely reverence in my aspect because I knew where we were coming from and what the past had been and what we were trying to do. And this was a much darker, not as light Night Stalker. And I feel like maybe we should have some more light, which is what my character was. My character came on to get the light. I don't know. I, I say definitely for me, I didn't really ask the rest of them. Around that time, I kept my nerdness to myself because <laughs> it wasn't cool yet. <laughs> yeah, being, now, being a nerd is now, cool now. Yeah, it feels like everybody's a nerd. Yeah, everybody's a nerd. All of a sudden, you go, wait a minute. I remember you used to beat up nerds when we were in school. Now, all of a sudden, you're a nerd? Well, man, I was just, I was just, I was, you know, I was, I was beating up nerds because I didn't want to be called a nerd. And that's why I was stupid. But I'm a nerd. I'm like, mm, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, just, you're just banking. You're banking on the fact of what happened. Because I literally just sit in I was doing Lego Star Wars, and I never do this. And I walked out, and I was making a turn to go to the bathroom, and Jonathan Fricks was there. My knees buckled, and I was like, whoa. When I just went to the bathroom really slow, and I came out of the bathroom, I was walking by, and I went and talked to one of the people that worked at um, that, um, uh, is that, is that, is that Jonathan Fricks? And she was like, yeah, yeah, it is. I was like, okay, 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 cool, cool, cool. Now, I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. And I am talking like like I'm 12 years old, and I and I was like, okay, 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 okay. And, I, and they were like, do you want to meet? I said, hell yeah, 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 yeah. I want to meet. Him. So I walked over and I said, I'm Mr. Frakes. Uh, I just uh, said I'm a huge fan, um, you know, Star Trek. And he was like, oh man, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to meet you. I was like, yeah, yeah. He was were you were you even alive when that show was out? <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, uh, not only was I alive. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 40. And he went, what? Wow. Black really doesn't crack. <laughs> Three both started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> started laughing. He is the nicest, nicest man. And that made my day. Because, you know, I've worked in this business. I've worked with a lot of heavyweights. And I've, I've, I've had been in a lot of heavyweight things. But I can always be brought down to a child when I see people that I can't imagine. I don't know what I'll do if Patrick Stewart walks into a room or William Shatner. I'm, actually, I was in a restaurant and saw William Shatner and I was with a girl and thank God she was my friend because if we were on a date, I was not getting another date. <laughs> that was not happening because I, I, I turned into a puddle of poop and was, was stuttering like I was doing. Like, I'm like this is how I was literally talking. I was like, yeah, um, that, that's uh, that William Shatner. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, don't, don't look over there. Don't, don't look over there, woman. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is That's what I was doing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to myself anymore. So that's basically it. This is the last season of Bones. Is everything yes. already in the can, or are you guys still shooting? No, we're in the can. We're in oh, the can. wow. That's got to be kind of bittersweet. Wow. Time. It's um, a little surreal. I mm. mean, uh, you know, we were all emotional. Uh, even the recurrence on our last day, uh, with like four of the main recurrence that, uh, I've worked with, you know, when, um, we knew we were getting to our last shot and to hear them say, you know, we know we were going to, they were going to say series rap strange, man. Um, made lifelong friends from that show. And, uh, I mean, all good things have to come to an end. It's, it was just weird. And it was surreal. I lucked out. I was, I lucked out doing that show. Really did. 
the the cast on that again you guys seem so tight on there and just the chemistry that you've worked out over all these years you guys are so natural with each other that's lightning in a bottle because mm-hmm. i've worked on a lot of shows and i can tell you that doesn't always happen you don't always get that kind of chemistry because the, 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 you know the lead cast yes but the recurring characters every recurring character they had fit in like a glove and we all had diff- we all have different personalities and we all had different characters but it worked and that was a testament to the crew uh the production the cast um you know headed by Emily and David cuz they could have been not welcoming they could have not been prepared people and they were both were very prepared David has gone from what one hit show to the next hit show to the next. I mean, he's been on television for almost 20, like, what, 20 dec- like two decades from one hit show to the next. Yeah, Buffy, he had Angel, and then he had this. It happens, you know, and, you know, uh, he's a rat. He's a good rabbit. He's a real good, good rabbit's foot. I'm, I'm, I might have to follow him to his next one. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I might have to follow him to his next one. Right. I hope Emily takes some time off. She deserves it. Um, they both do. Yeah, man, it was, it was a family over there. We argued. We had a great time. You know, it was time. It was time to end because I think it's, we ran out of stories to tell, and you want to go out closer to the top than not. Obviously, the Kolchak reimagining it kind of just ended. You know, and you talked about how Bones ended, and there's this, you know, this kind of sense of sadness, and oh, it's un- it's unfortunate that's ending, but the stories have kind of dried up, and it's time for it to end. Kind of, you know, tell us a, a little bit about what that was like when you heard kind of the news about the Night Stalker and how the that shows panned out at the end it sucked it sucked it i mean it really sucked because when i heard that it was over i was like they'll never get a chance to really get into the mythology and that is terrible man it's a it's a terrible terrible thing because you never want shows like that especially where you know because i thought the last episodes were great i thought there was it had a feeling of x-files which i know frank and, and vince were going to bring it i mean I mean, you had two brilliant guys who came off of X-Files. And, I mean, Vince has obviously gone on and done incredible things, obviously, Breaking Bad. But you look at that particular project and you go, it was such a missed opportunity. So for me, that ending just feels, it has always felt wrong. And it, and it always felt, not, I don't know, I'm looking for the words. I don't want to say it's regret, because there's no, I can't say I regret it, because I had a great time doing it. I just feel like it's a missed opportunity. Uh, we had a we had a really. I feel like if we had been given a chance for a second season and finished off the ones we had in the second season, I feel like we really would have been a cult cult classic. We had the, we had the ingredients. I think Stewart, you know, because I've you know, heard people say Stewart is they, they said only oh, not that good of an actor. Stewart really worked, and he had a nice charisma about him. And I think his songs were starting to get really good. He's bringing something to it that I, I don't I didn't expect. Not about him as an actor, but uh, I love uh, a certain thing to Kolchak that I didn't see him his his reimagining. And I just wish he had, we had more time. Really wish we had more time. I wish Gabrielle, myself, him, and other and all the other uh, actors on the show had just had a little bit more time to get into it. There's way more stories to be to have been told, and it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what that's uh, like, putting all that time and effort in, and then it just kind of, you know, it unceremoniously ending like that. Um, stepping back from the show after it was completed, 
did it give you a renewed sense of appreciation for the original show and kind of how your show fit into kind of the mythology of the original show? Well, I, I felt like, you know, we were heading it down. Uh, we were, we were blazing our own trail. It still made me appreciate the original. I mean, first of all, the originals were just fun. I, I thought we were doing a darker take. I, I, you know how I looked at it? I looked at it as Battlestar Galactica 1970s, Battlestar Galactica the 2000s. They're both great in what they were doing. Different fields, different Starbucks, different Adamas. But there was the, 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 the reimagining of it was interesting. And right. that's what I was hoping we were going to get a chance to show with this one. Because, like I said, we had Vince Gillick and we had Frank Spot. And I, I really felt like we really could have gone and done some really, really dope stuff. But we just, ABC just did not give us a chance. They saw those ratings. And instead of going, okay, we believe in the project. I just think they freaked out or they pulled the plug way too soon. I just, you know, it's just a shame. It's a shame. Well, weren't you guys up against CSI when that was still just eating the ratings? You're not going to beat that with a, with a, cause it already has its own, you know, it already has its own following. It's already got established. You can't beat a show like that in the beginning. You have to build a following. And I, I always feel like networks, these days don't get that you don't put a show that you want to have build into something because you're not always going to catch lightning in a bottle you mm-hmm. got to let it build and i felt like you putting it up i think we i think we might have i can't remember it, but that makes sense to tell the case like if you put us up against csi we're not going to win that not in the beginning you know csi csi was the biggest show in the world a, a new show is not going to have that kind of thing i mean it's not like empire you know empire came on and became a phenomenon and that does not happen all the time. It is a rarity in this, bu- in, in this business. For a show to jump on and then explode to 20 million on network television? Doesn't matter. Walking Dead wasn't a phenomenon when it first came out. It had a nice following. It exploded into a phenomenon later. But you've got to give it time. And that's what I think the mistake was. When a lot of these networks, a lot of these networks, they're, they're, so, they're so eager to pull the plug because mm-hmm. they get really antsy that the show's not doing numbers. But, it's, but that's why I think, you know, you know, if I could go back, I wish Night Stalker had never been on ABC. I wish we had been on cable. I think if we had been on AMC, I mean, of course, AMC wasn't AMC that it is now, but I feel like if we were on a, a, a network that needed a show or wanted to take time to, for it to build, that would have been better than being on a network that is they're just basically looking at numbers. I know you've been on a couple cable shows like um, True Blood. What's the difference for you yes. working on something like a True Blood versus working on a network show? Standards and practices. Yeah. <laughs> different. Standards and practices. Because there's things you can't get away with on network television. Mm-hmm. You can get away on cable. You can't get away on network television. Network television, as much as I do love it and I, and I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a necessary thing, I feel like it's still limiting. Mm-hmm. But that's when you have to have the imagination. On cable, these shows can go on, and they're not going to get canceled right away because if they do numbers like, you know, if The Flash and I did Arrow, their numbers, if they were on network television, they would have already been canceled. But they do numbers that are okay, and they build off their cult following and their fans, and that's how they become popular shows. They're not rating. They're not ratings killers. They may be rating killers for probably those networks, but they're not rating killers. But on cable, you're, uh, you're afforded more time, more opportunity. That's why I love the, this new time, you know, for millennials, this is perfect, <laughs> that Netflix exists now and Hulu and uh, all these different networks, you know, these 
I, I quote unquote new networks because they'll give these shows more time to build and they'll give them more time to maybe tell a story. Like, you know, the, the age of 22 episodes is gone. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see that again because no network wants to put that much amount of money and effort behind something. They'll give you like an order for 13. And then if you do well, they might give you some extra episodes. That's what happens now. 22, like Bones, uh, shows like that, it's over. It's not happening again. And, and which is funny. We're, we're going to almost a, uh, a cable model and a British model, which is they do shorter seasons, but the material's better. I mean, that's what Mad Men and, and uh, I think Mad Men and um, uh, Walking Dead and them have taught people. It's like, you can do this, like a focused season, and maybe recoup the money you want or, or, or do whatever. I think that's what we're doing now. And at least, I feel like we're in a better age of television than we were before. Bones is wrapped now, so what are you working on now? I just finished uh, doing a really small role in this movie called Keys with Halle Berry and Daniel Craig. And just did that the other night, and that was fun. It was, it was good to get back to an independent, independent world. I hadn't done an independent film in a while. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm doing uh, this uh, country music television like I guess they call it CMT. I'm doing a um, show, a recurring role on the show called Still the King uh, with uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. So uh, I start that January 20th, and that'll be fun. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to Bones was like a a great safety net. Like every year, I knew, oh, you know, if I don't get that, I still got Bones. It, in a way, it's, it's it's sad to be over, but it's given me this sort of new hunger and a new freedom that I haven't had in a long time. So I'm excited. How do you feel about these television channels like CMT, MTV? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Ten years ago, they really hadn't branched out into you know creative properties like you know an actual TV show with a with a narrative. As an actor, how do you kind of feel about these channels that normally aren't associated with creative you know narrative TV kind of branching out into these narrative shows? I think it's great. I think it affords actors more opportunities for jobs. <laughs> there's, there's way more. So many, at the same time, you know, I wish there wasn't so many channels. I think it's great because HBO had to become HBO somehow. Um, AMC was the American movie classics. Now it's just AMC. And now it, when it, once it branched out to Breaking Bad and Mad Men and, and then, you know, Walking Dead, now it's become a powerhouse. Netflix, all these other, I, I think it's great for these, 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 these uh, different networks to build themselves into a name. I mean, who would have known audience? I think audience exists because what? What was shows on audience? Kingdom, I think? It's just, I feel for actors, it affords us more, but it's just so many, it's so many networks. Like, <laughs> I don't know where to turn the channel anymore. I just, now I just been stuff because I'm like, I, I, uh, I, I can't watch that. I don't know. What time is that on? Wow, that's, that's on at 10 o'clock, but it's up against this and this and this and this and this. So I hope now people are realizing ratings shouldn't really matter. It should just be about the material and about the, the stuff that we're putting up on TV. But I, I love it. Expand. I mean, I, you know, thank God Star Trek is finally returning, you know, but it's going to return on CBS all streaming network. So just more TV. Going to try to get a roll on that one? I will eat off anybody's leg <laughs> to get a roll on Star Trek. <laughs> I really wish I couldn't even get a call for it. I was like, "What? What, what, what do I got to do? Who do I got to kill? <laughs> what do I got to do to get on a, a Star Trek?" I auditioned for two Star Trek shows, and I got really close on Deep Space Nine when I was a kid. 
but I was a little too old. Mm. So Rock got him. And he was great. Uh, and then I auditioned for Enterprise, and at that time I was young. <laughs> so I was like, I, I can't, can, can I be right in the middle now? Can I get on a Star Trek show? Be great, man. I would love to do a Star Trek show. I, I would kill. I mean, I'm, I'm now, I'm now, I'm a voice on a Lego Star Wars. I've done a Star Wars two movies with voices. Can I just now get in front of the camera for Star Trek? Right. Then I got. Then I'm good. I'm in video games. I thought Star Trek and Star Wars. I'm good. And it's got a pretty, uh, it's got a pretty amazing cast too. So I think you'd work right perfectly with everyone else on that show. It, that cast is going to be great, and I love what I'm hearing. I'm loving that they're not going to focus on a captain, mm-hmm. which I'm a, we haven't seen yet. And uh, they're going to focus. On, I think she's the first officer. Is she the first officer? I'm not exactly sure how they're going to place it. And and I love the fact that we were probably going to focus on the Klingons at that time too, because we were against them at the time. Um, we didn't have any, a peace treaty with them, and it's ten years before the, the original series. So I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they're going to do. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous, but I'm hopeful because well, Enterprise yeah. was not my favorite. I was going to say they can't really do worse than Enterprise. So. How, uh, Enterprise's intro theme song is one of the greatest TV theme songs ever. How dare you? Oh. Come on, Chris. No. Come on. <laughs> this is like a point of contention with Mike and I all the time. Wait a minute, who said this? Chris or Mike? Who said no, I, that? that was Chris. Oh, I said it. Come on, Chris. I'm kidding. I love really? I remember watching the original series on VHS at my grandparents' house, and that was how I got indoctrinated into Star Trek and Enterprise's theme song is absolutely oh, astoundingly so like 2000 like late 90s early 2000s it's why funny. yeah because i'm like why are they doing it i'm like are you kidding me yeah. i was like come on guys no this doesn't feel star trek this feels like i don't know what it felt like to be honest yeah. i was like i would have been happy if they did the quantum leap just do a version of quantum leap Nickelback. Oh, yeah. It was no, no. Don't crap on Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> don't make Nickelback feel worse than they should. No. Poor Nickelback. Poor Nickelback. I hope that wasn't Nickelback. <laughs> that was well, just a, it was not a great it was not a great choice. No, it, it wasn't. I tried to go back and watch it because uh recently they had a uh, Star Trek Voyager um mm-hmm. running on BBC America and I tried to watch that and I had to hit a friend of mine who basically might as well be a Star Trek encyclopedia, and I was like, "Listen, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm trying to understand Voyager." Then he said, "Wait for this one episode." So this one episode came on. I think it's called Tuvix, which was basically Tuvix and yes. Neelix were merged into one person. I just and watched that for the first time. That, you, you did, yeah. And did you feel like you walked out of here like this is a messed up episode? This yeah. is cold blooded. Like, yeah. And that made me appreciate it more. I was like, oh, okay, now I okay, now I appreciate this show. Because I yep. went there. You know, and Kate, you know, Kate Mulgrew was great. I, I don't know why. I'm trying to remember why her name was Catherine Catherine Janeway. Right. That was really weird. <laughs> She's like, hi, I'm Catherine Catherine. I'm like, why, why is your name Catherine Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that show was better than I gave it credit for. I remember not really liking Voyager. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was right there with you. Oh, yeah, man. and I was, I was watching that BBC marathon and just like hoping it would kind of turn me around. And that Tuvix episode was good. I have to admit, that was the one that made you go, "Huh? Yeah, like okay, okay." And I bet you that might have been third or fourth season. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of the episodes I saw were like season one or season two. And other than the original series, all Star Trek shows were terrible in the first season. Mm-hmm. And unlike the original series as well, all third seasons made the show fly. The third season of the original series is, is just terrible. I mean, Spock's brain is in that. In the season, <laughs> good God. <laughs> like, what is that about? Spock's right. brain is so bad. <laughs> and I also remember Frame of Mind. I think Frame of Mind was the Frame of Mind. That was the name of it. It was the episode where the next generation where Riker gets some disease on a planet and then he starts having flashbacks. Oh, to like yeah. other times. And I was like, yeah, why is this? Why does this episode exist? It's like a clip show, wasn't it? It was a clip show. I'm yeah. like, you guys are disguising a clip show. Is this mm-hmm. terrible? Mm. I guess my my <laughs> final question, since we have talked so much about Star Trek, uh, is oh, I'm sorry about that guy. No, no, no. no, no. My, no. my last Why? question is uh, Picard or Kirk. Don't ask. Oh no! Don't, don't, can't do that! Can't do that! Can't do that! Oh man! Oh man! This is like this is the question, right? Like, this is the Star Trek fan question. Uh, okay, 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 okay. God, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. Uh, okay, if you had asked me this when it was Next Generation seasons one through three, I would have said hell no on Picard because he hated children. He was loud, and every time he just seemed mean, and he didn't seem like he. I was like, every time he, every, and I used to drive, drive me crazy. The turn, like, number one, and number one, and Riker was right there, like on his shoulder, and it seemed like he screamed at him, like number one, I'm like yeah, yeah, whatever. But once I saw Inner Light, and then I watched when he got tortured by the Kardashians, and then Best of Both Worlds, I'm gonna have to go with Picard. Best of Both Worlds, gotta go. Change Best of Both Worlds when he became bored. Yeah, it changed everything. Changed everything. Changed everything. That's when I went. First of all, I, was, I think that was the best clip. I think at that time I was the best clip singer of all time because oh, yeah. no one had done it in that way, and and it, and, you know, it left because I remember it as soon as it ended with Riker going fire and it bum 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 and it went black and so it continued. I, as a child, as a kid, I was no because you had to wait all summer. Yeah, I had to wait all summer. I had to wait all summer wondering if they killed Picard. And other sort of stuff, but I was like, and that's why I went. Look, Kirk will always be that OG, that that great first dude because he's ridiculous with his. I want to love. I want to <laughs> an enemy within. <laughs> but, but Picard, man, he was everything. He was, he was, he was an amazing. That's just an amazing actor. And then his, the way he evolved, Picard. Yeah, we didn't get to see that with Kirk because. Because it was the 60s, and Kirk was just supposed to be dashing, and he was supposed to be this guy that rushes in and takes the woman and, and does all that and stuff. I mean, it, it, there was not one alien woman he didn't want to bed. So you you kind of fell into him. It's, but, you know, I kind of look at it as uh, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I would have said Sean Connery, hands down. But I watched the scene of Royale again, and I'm like, uh, you know, Daniel Craig kind of did his thing. <laughs> it's sort of like he evolved Bond, and you know, I think it's you know, it's just different animals. But I'm gonna have to say Picard. I for me, yeah, I respect Picard. your 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 reasoning on that one. Yeah, that's my only reasoning. If you, if it was any other time, it's 
you know, and, and if you want to know Star Wars, it's going to be Empire Strikes Back, and there's nothing going to change my mind on that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Total agreement. Yep, you're no. not going to get any argument from me <laughs> on that one. <laughs> nope. No. Empire Strikes Back above Star Wars and Batman the Dark Knight. And then yep. we're done. I answer all those things. Everybody's Dark Knight, Dark Knight, Empire Strikes Back, Picard, that's it. <laughs> well, Eugene, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Oh, man, no problem, man. I'm, I hope I answered your questions. I wasn't too long with it. It was great, and it was just a real pleasure talking with you. It's always good to talk to another nerd. We're back and we were talking about the Night Stalker 2005. <laughs> God knows we don't want to name it after Kolchak since he's barely in his own story. So, right, I, Jesus. Yeah, talking about three, the third episode of the of the show. Wouldn't you know? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, they're so clever. <laughs> at least. At, like I said, at least Eugene Byrne is a pretty awesome guy. When we talked to him, it was right as Bones was wrapping up. Now, Bones is obviously off the air. It's also kind of funny um, just to see he's working in the morgue in this uh, in this TV show. And then I wouldn't say the Jefferson is is a, a morgue by any stretch, but also working with the dead bodies, but playing the character completely differently. So it was uh, kind of nice. I mean, there are a lot of times I've seen him show up in things and I'm just like, who is that guy? And then I look him up and I'm like, oh my God, that's Clark from Bones? I don't believe it. So does a really good job of stuff and uh, super nice guy just to, you know, talk to our dumbasses. <laughs> well, and he's the best part of this episode. And I'm glad to know that he's coming back. Yeah. I mean, this, this show's going to need all the help that it can get. It's almost like we've lost Gordy on the original series by now, and then he's kind of being reincarnated as uh, Alex Nyby on this show. But yeah, it would be great if we had a an Alex Nyby-centric episode. <laughs> well, something where the person who's in the episode actually seems to be interested. The one thing I do want to say, we have beaten up this episode pretty badly, but I would like to point out that I didn't have high hopes going back into this show. But the first two episodes, for all of their problems, were actually relatively enjoyable. And this is the first episode that we've run into that is not good. So I just want to point that out for everyone who's like, oh, the reboot of the show is so bad. Like, it's really not that bad. It hasn't been that bad up until now. No, you're right. I belong to... uh, um well, a couple cool chat groups over on Facebook. And whenever anybody posts a photo from this 2005 series or is like, you know, what do people think about the reboot? It's just this dog pile and everyone just kicking the show while it's down. And lately I'll get on there and I'll say, it's really not as bad as you remember. You know, there's some really good episodes. You just need to give them a chance. And I've been pointing people toward the five people you meet in hell episode I'm like, there's a couple problems with the pilot, but it's actually okay. I don't think I'll be pointing people towards three, but I don't think that... I think there will probably be a few more of these clunkers, um, which is a real shame since there's only the ten episodes. So it's going to be a bad track record at the end, but 
there's still going to be some diamonds in the rough here. Maybe not diamonds. Maybe like cubic zirconium in the rough. Better than most people give this show credit for. Yes. No, I was pleasantly surprised by the last couple, and this is the one where I'm just like, oh, this is kind of why the show has its reputation. Yeah, agreed. Chris, what's going on over at the Culture Cast, sir? Oh, just talking two movies a week, new movies and our monthly theme, and that's pretty much it. So always talking movies, always joking about movies, always giving our thoughts about movies. So that's what we're up to at the Culture Cast. You can follow me on Twitter at Culture Stash, and you can check out the website at www.cultureshocked.com and on Twitter at Culture Shocked. The real question, Mike, is what is going on with the Projection Booth podcast? You can find out more over at projection-booth.com and you can download episodes via iTunes, Stitcher, and any popular podcasting platform that you might uh, engage with. And as far as this show... You can always find out more over at ColchakTapes.com. Come on over to our Facebook group. Join the lively discussion. Not really. Nobody's talking over there. But I, I we had one listener say, uh, with all due respect, you guys really need to do more episodes more often. And it's like, well, but we said at the very beginning we're just doing one a month. So sorry about that, sir. We both have other things happening we both have podcasts that we do that you could listen to if you wanted to just saying if you really want to hear our voices we both do our own podcasts it's not over cold shack but you know it is over movies so if you like movies i check those out sometimes we even are on each other's podcasts that's true sometimes we're on each other Mm. yeah sometimes it's it's almost like we're talking about cold check but we're not yeah so if that's what you like about this we are on each other's podcasts relatively frequently the banter the crazy, wonderful banter that we have. Yeah. Banter mania is running, running wild, brother. <laughs> I want to thank John Walker for doing the score, the theme to the Kolchak tapes. And, uh, of course, uh, his music is sometimes supplemented by other music that we're going to hear from the either the reboot or the uh, original, the Jules Melee score sometimes. But uh, John is the guy that did the actual theme to the podcast that you hear every episode of this. So go on back, check out our back catalog, because we are doing this kind of in order, kind of. Some old, some new, but definitely... We're not jumping around as far as uh, the order of these actual uh, shows themselves. We're doing it in order. We're just supplanting or supplementing the original show with some of the reboot as well. We're going through both at the same time, knocking them out at the same time. How's that? Kind of taking the sting out of that reboot. Yeah, that's the truth. Do you say sting or stink? A little bit of both. Fueled by memory, fear takes form, becoming a thing that lives long after death. Residing not just in our hearts, but in the hidden bonds between us. Fear so powerful cannot be escaped, but it can be destroyed.
Thank you.